All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 328, and today we are talking about books being released on September 14th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa, hello! Hey, how are you? All right, we're going to talk <laughs> about books, that's exciting. Yes. Uh, I forgot to tell you before we started recording, not that you would have been able to do anything about it, but... <laughs> Are Blue Angels a thing in other parts of the country? They are, right? Like, the Blue Angels are in town. I was going to say, if you're talking about a bird, I don't know. But if you mean the planes, yes. <laughs> yes. I'm, uh, born yeah. and raised in San Diego, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so they're in town, and they have a show this weekend. And so they're practicing right now. And so every once in a while, they go <laughs> over the house, and it's so loud. Like, things start shaking. And I haven't heard one in a while, but they might just be at lunch, so... Well, that way I don't have to worry that you're, like, being bombed. <laughs> yeah, that it's, like, an actual condone. Come on. That's not your first thought. Your first thought would be that I was being called up to my home. <laughs> Indeed. Like, oh, it's time. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're so loud. I haven't, so I haven't been loud. around here in a long time, and I haven't heard them. So this morning I started working, and I was like, what's happening? Like, is that, is that a worrying noise or like, and then I, I Googled it. Oh my God. Again, in San Diego, that's like a big deal. Oh yeah. They have like a huge air show out here. Yeah. But I think it's been a while since they've been here. I think so too. So, but uh, I myself have never seen it. Although, you know, if I go stand outside my house, I've seen them like just fly over the house. <laughs> yeah. They're hard to miss. <laughs> free air show. So it's interesting. It's so loud. But so thank you for the warning. Yeah. Um, what else? Let's see. Planes. Let's see. Pets. Don't have any pet stories. Just the usual. They're the usual troublemakers. Yeah. <laughs> we have, we've had like a large influx of pigeons the last week. So the have, <laughs> I don't know what to do like with that. <laughs> super, super excited about that. Because I think I mentioned before, like, we get all kinds of little birds and little critters, critters and stuff, and the cats are like, whatever, and then the pigeons show up, and my cats are like, fight me! <laughs> like, I don't know what it is, but they get wildly excited when the pigeons are around. And we usually have, like, three or four, but the last week, apparently, word got out, and now we have, like, 17, 18, 20. Oi. It's really funny. But it sounds amazing, like, because as soon as they land, one of my cats, like, bangs on the window, like, can we be friends? And they fly off, and, like, the noise that it makes <laughs> like, is no. incredible. <laughs> it's it's such a cool noise. I feel bad for them, because they're like, oh, we cannot ever, like, again. eat something. It's a stupid cat. <laughs> He's like, let's be friends, let's be friends. And my other cat's like, fight me! So, Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I had a weird obsession with pigeons as a child. I still like, I really? love birds that have like blues and greens in them. I just find them oh, yeah. fascinating. They're beautiful. But as a very small child, I was like, that one, I must catch one of those. And it was like a thing. I mean, all kids, I think, kind of do that to it. No, this was like, Vanessa, like you, they had to like tell me to sit down if there was a pigeon anywhere near because I would just bolt like into the street at the <laughs> zoo, like just run. Oh, dear. And it was like my mission to catch one. They were like, yeah, no, you really, no, they're not like good birds to chase. <laughs> so every time oh. I see one, I'm like, oh, little bee, <laughs> that used to be my thing. So now you know a thing about me. Uh, but did you ever watch Bert sing Doing the Pigeon on Sesame Street? Yeah. Because <laughs> yes. that was like a very distressing song. Extremely. Because you saw his legs and you never saw Bert's legs. Yep. And so he did that like dance where he's like doing the pigeon and you're like, all you can stare at it is, are his legs. What is happening? Yep. Yeah. It was like when you see Kermit riding a bicycle. Oh my gosh. So you do see Kermit's legs a lot on Sesame Street. You do, but it's still funny. It was very weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't think about these things for children. You know, like what kids will think about these things. 
Probably most kids were like, whatever, those are Bert's legs. But I was like, what's happening? He's we twice are... as big as he used to be. <laughs> we are definitely the same and yet so different kind of child. <laughs> and adult. And I am much older than you. <laughs> so, well, I guess we should talk about books. Which Let's is something I really like to do. And we'll always do. I was just chasing my husband's friends. They were over visiting and I didn't get to go out and say hi until they were like leaving. I was like, hey, wait, does anybody need books? Does anybody <laughs> want to talk about books? Does anybody <laughs> want to tell me what they're reading? They're like, okay, weirdo. People leave with leftovers in some houses and you're just like, please take a stack oh, of Callie's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, take books. You have to take books. Although these days, you know, no one's allowed in my house. So I just come out with like a big box. True. And like, let them let them pick what they want. All right, we are now actually going to hear from a sponsor first. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, and I am very excited about all of my books today, as I am every week, but I feel like this is a really good selection. I got some great novels. We got some scary stuff because Halloween's coming up. I'm going to kick it off with the book that everyone is thinking about today, and that is Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. Woohoo! I love this book. I love Colson Whitehead. You all know that. He's like the Danny Boyle of novelists. He explores a lot of different genres. 
He did the autobiographical dramedy with Sag Harbor. He did speculative fiction with The Intuitionist. He did his zombie novel with Zero One. There was, you know, historical fiction with The Underground Railroad. He did his nonfiction book about poker, the title of which is Escaping Me. He wrote a book about New York City. Like, he's just, oh, he's great. And this is his brilliant crime novel. It is set in three parts in Harlem in the 1960s. And the main character is a black man named Ray Carney. And when the book starts out, Ray is married and he's trying to make a better life for his family because they live in a really cramped apartment and he has a second child on the way and he wants to get a nice apartment for his wife. Ray owns a furniture store and he does better for himself than a lot of the people who live in his neighborhood. But again, cramped apartment needs a, needs a bigger space for his growing family. Also, his wife's parents don't approve of him, even though he's made so much of himself, and they look down on him, and Ray is trying to, like, show them that he can take care of their daughter, and that he can be everything that they want him to be, even though he kind of resents them, too. But he just, he would certainly like more from life. So, on top of owning the furniture store, he has this teeny tiny side gig, in which he helps pawn stolen items here and there. Uh, Nothing big, just from time to time to make a little extra cash. Mostly, they come from Ray's cousin, Freddy. Now, Freddy is about Ray's age, and they grew up together. They come from a poor family. There's a lot of crooks in the family. Ray's father was a very famous thief named Mike Carney, and Ray kind of grew up trying to get out from under his father's shadow. He wanted to show people that he wasn't going to be like his dad. He wasn't going to go to jail. He was going to be his own person, and he's worked really hard to achieve that. But while Ray has made something of himself, Freddy has had a harder time keeping out of trouble. And Ray, who has a soft spot for Freddy, you know, is, it's going to get him in trouble one of these days, the soft spot that he has for Freddy. And it does. Trouble arrives in the form of a local gangster. Freddy is part of this gangster's crew, along with other assorted criminals who have different jobs, including a lovable sociopath named Pepper, who's probably my favorite character in the book. And when Freddy approaches Ray, he tells him that he and his gang are going to rob a hotel, a very famous hotel in Harlem. They're going to clean out the the vaults, you know, behind the desk, and they're going to take whatever they can get. And he also tells Ray that while he was trying to impress his boss, Freddy told him that his cousin was a fence and he could fence what they steal. And Ray's like, why would you do that? I am not a big time fencing stuff for gangsters kind of fence. I'm just a guy who helps you out every once in a while and makes fuck. But, you know, his the gangster shows up and says, yes, you're the guy to do it, and he doesn't feel like he can say no. Of course, the job goes sideways. And now suddenly, Ray finds himself under the thumb of the local crime syndicate, moving stolen goods for gangsters and dirty cops. There's another story about a tale of revenge. There's, it's, like I said, it's in three parts. It's just, oh, it's so good. It's gritty. And it's sad, but it's also an often funny tale and a very clever tale of hometown identity and race and family and loyalty and crime. It is perfect not just for fans of Colson Whitehead, but also if you love Walter Mosley or S.A. Cosby or James McBride. This one really reminded me a lot of their work. It's so good. I do want to give content warnings for mentions in the book of infidelity, racism, violence, murder, chemical use and abuse police violence, partner abuse, and loss of a loved one. This is Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead, which is also a really bad Rolling Stones song from like the 80s, if I remember correctly. 
Harlem Shuffle. <laughs> yeah. With like the cat. It was like the it was like that Paula Abdul video where they had like the illustrated <laughs> dancing cats. The animated it cat next to her. Yeah. <laughs> it had animated cats. Yes. <laughs> my how long we've come. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to read that one. I swear Colson Whitehead is like Silvia Moreno Garcia and that they just have this I imagine like a Wheel of Fortune style giant wheel that just has different genres and topics on it and they just <laughs> spin that sucker and I'm like I'm gonna write that now and it works every time like they're just oh they, they, ugh, I love yeah, it yeah he's so great such range okay well I have a well I'm gonna start with this my first book because I just love it so much I too am really excited about all of my picks today we're hitting that like fall stride again where there's a lot more releases so it's actually hard to, to pick sometimes but I picked for my first one a lot like Adios by Alexis Daria I actually have not read the f- her first book which is You Had Me at Ola but it's quite popular and a lot of people rave about that one too this one is a second chance romance and our main character is michelle amato and she's sort of the black sheep of her puerto rican and italian family mainly because she's not married <laughs> the families are super marriage obsessed and she pretty much insists on staying single at this point she's built a super successful career in graphic design you know she don't need nobody gracias very mucho you know move on she did once have a great love it was actually her childhood best friend but he left a long time ago and that person is gabriel aguilar who left the Bronx when he was 18 to break free from his own family's expectations. And he never really looked back. And now he's the owner of LA's like most popular fancy celebrity gym situation. He has an investor who wants to help him open a second location. So he insists that it needs to be in New York. And so he's, you know, Gabe is going to have to go out there to seal this deal and look at locations, all that, you know, good stuff. But that's a place he really, really hoped he'd never have to go back to. He has no interest in doing so, but he's got us. So I uh, wouldn't you know, the graphic designer who's been brought on for the marketing campaign for this new gym is none other than Michelle, who he refers to as Mish. Misha's pretty prickly about the whole thing at first because, you know, things didn't quite go well the last time that they spoke and then haven't spoken, you know, in a long time. But of course, feelings. And before you know it, you know, I'm doing a body roll that you can't see, but sexy times. Mucho fuego, in the bed, great. It, you know, it was kind of bound to happen. But of course, at that point, their families get wind of their reconnection. They sort of, you know, assume that not that it's just these bedroom gymnastics, more, more that they're dating and they're hoping that it's just like, okay, just, it, it's going to work the second time around. They're going to get married and everything's going to be, you know, fantastic. But neither of them are particularly sure, you know, are confident that it is going to work this time around if they can get over their issues, especially Michelle, who is very, very kind of commitment averse and just not, doesn't think she can trust whatever it is that's resurfaced between them. It's super steamy. Really fun. I was, you know, a little bit hashtag triggered about the whole commitment phobia, Latina thing. Not that I'm like commitment phobic, so much as that I'm really bad at dating. And so that's <laughs> misinterpreted as a persistence on being single. But there's a lot of little qualities in her that I was like, hmm, I should in- examine those. But it's just great to see, you know, diverse romance in general. And there was a lot that I could see, like, just reflected, especially in like the family dynamics. And again, steamy scenes, which is great. So this is a lot of fun. I would love to, I'm going to have to go back and read You Have Me at Ola. But this one is A Lot Like Adios by Alexis Daria. All right. So my next pick is Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty. Moriarty is the author of Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers. I did read Big Little Lies and I watched the first season of the show, which had me going, I don't remember that happening. And then finally someone said, yeah, no, they changed a lot of it. So that made me happy because I thought I had forgotten the book. I did not read Nine Perfect Strangers, and I have not heard great things about the new show. 
However, I will probably still watch it for Manny Jacinto's cheekbones because. <laughs> so this is Moriarty's new book, though. Moriarty is an Australian author. And even though Big Little Lies, the show, is not set in Australia, her books are set in Australia. And this one is about the Delaney's. Joy and Stan are the head of the Delaney family. And this goes back and forth through time, but mostly it's present day. And at this point, Joy and Stan are retired. They ran a very famous tennis school in their town. They uh, taught a lot of famous tennis players or, or kids who go on to be you know, famous tennis players. They also taught all four of their children to play tennis, and they were really excellent at it, but they never became the champions that their father wanted them to be, which is a source of disappointment to their father. Now, Amy, Logan, Troy, and Brooke Delaney, the four Delaney children, they have the usual sibling squabbles and rivalries. They get mad at each other. They make fun of each other. They poke at each other all the time. And as adults, they also all have their own set of problems, and they are hiding secrets from their parents and each other. Now, by all accounts, their parents have a great marriage. But at the beginning of the book, we find out that Joy, the mother, is missing. She sent a text saying she had to go away for a while. She just needed to get away. But no one has seen or heard from her in days. And when the police are eventually contacted... They are alarmed by how her family isn't alarmed that their mother has been gone for days and no one has heard from her. And as well as the fact that Stan seems like he might be hiding something. And it's possible that the children want to believe that she left on her own. And that's why they're not worrying. Because if she didn't, the other idea, the other, you know, the culprit is most likely her father. is uh, Or their father, sorry. So they don't even want to, like, entertain that thought right now. This book is told from each character's point of view multiple times, so we know what was really going on under the surface of the Delaney's marriage. We know what's really going on in the lives of the children. The secrets in this book unfold slowly and suspensefully. Beginning, like at the beginning, we find out that Joy's hairdresser is also her confidant, and she just briefly we hear from her that she knows some stuff and she's going to go to the police if somebody doesn't say something soon. You know, and you're like, what does she know? Ooh, and then it takes a while to get back to that. And it's so good. Meanwhile, two of the Delaney children think that their father may have something to do with their mother's disappearance. Well, the other two think he's innocent. But wait, there is another complication in this case. Several months before Joy's disappearance, if that is what it is, a complete stranger, a young woman, showed up at the Delaney's late in the night, banging on the door, asking to be let in, has a bloody head wound, says that she was attacked by her boyfriend and their home looked like a nice, safe place. And so she she went to their home. And Joy, having daughters and being sympathetic and a mother, takes her in and they clean her up and, you know, they let her stay as long as she wants. And she becomes, like, a part of the family for a while. Like, the kids aren't really sure about her. Like, here's a stranger living with their parents after all their adult children have moved out years before. And, like, what does she really want with their parents? And, like, what is her real story? But, you know, her mother and even their father seem thrilled that she's there. Now, in the present day, this stranger, whose name is Savannah, she no longer lives with the Delaney's, and the police are trying to locate her as she was the last person to spend any amount of time around Joy and Stan together. Because they're trying to find out, like, what happened to Joy. This book is incredibly compelling. The familial problems and the family dynamics felt very real. I was really invested in what was going on. I was so invested that I kept forgetting 
that a 60-something-year-old woman is unaccounted for. And then this is also, it's one of those mysteries that's not really a mystery. Like, the mystery isn't the point of the book. Like, it just happens to be happening. I just, I was so intrigued. I do think that the ending is going to disappoint a lot of people. Endings are hard. Like I've said before, I think that must be the hardest part of the book. Because even in books that I absolutely love, I sometimes am disappointed by the ending. But it does feel a bit like Moriarty went back to try and make it seem more relevant to today. I'm not going to explain why. Uh, but overall, I found it a compulsively readable and satisfying novel. And I also find it really interesting because I finished it just before my husband started watching the U.S. Open. And I have never watched tennis. I do not know anything about tennis other than Richie and the Royal Tenenbaums. So I was like, ooh, he was telling me all about tennis. And I was like, oh, now I understand a lot of what she was saying in the book because I did not know anything about tennis. So it was really fun. Uh, I do want to give content warnings for mental illness, physical illness, partner abuse, child abuse and neglect, elder abuse and neglect, infidelity, infertility, disordered eating, and loss of a loved one. This is Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty. Yay. I've been meaning to, I was going to read Nine Perfect Strangers, and then I also saw the, like, I don't know how I have feelings about the adaptation. I haven't even seen it so far, but I'll probably still watch it, too, because I just tend to do that. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. All right. I'm like, oh, does this taste funny? Here, you try it. Yeah. You know, that's me. I'm like, oh, people don't like this? Let me watch it. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm going to, I'll probably do it. It's just entertainment at this point. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I'll talk about my next pick. And so the reason I like kind of like had a little bit of a false start when I talked about my first pick is because I almost went straight into this one just on the theme of like interesting side hustles. Uh, but this one is a little darker. <laughs> so my next pick is The Corpse Queen by Heather M. Herman. Uh, trigger warning for some discussions of suicide, violence, and lots of like anatomical stuff if you're like squeaky about that, specifically like dissection. So this is a historical YA mystery set in 1850s Philadelphia, and our main character is Molly, who is a 17-year-old orphan. And her best friend has just died very suddenly and rather mysteriously. She was pregnant, and her body is very mutilated, but it's like allegedly a death by suicide? Questions. Shortly after the death, Molly learns that she's being kind of shipped off to send or to pardon me to live with an aunt. And she's like, hmm, really? Because she has no family as far as she knows. She's like, I'm an orphan that <laughs> by definition, I have no family that I know of. I'm probably just being sold off to go be someone's maid. But this aunt person is apparently real. Her name is Ava. She's hella rich, hella weird, hella secretive. And she's offering Molly the chance to essentially, you know, now be a part of, you know, capital S society. But the source of her wealth, speaking of that side hustle, is that she is the infamous corpse queen. She's in the business of robbing graves and then selling the corpses to medical students who need cadavers to practice their surgical procedures on. They're under the tutelage of this renowned Dr. Laval, and now basically this you know, corpse queen, Eva, wants Molly to go into that business with her and like, help facilitate. So... You know, what choice does Molly really have? She begins learning this trade in the dead of night. She's both horrified and also really drawn in, not just by the spectacle of it all, but really the medicine itself. Like her actual interest in medicine, the medical field surgery is increasing by the day. She attends these anatomy lessons that are held at the old church on her aunt's property that are led by Dr. Laval. And she observes, you know, an interesting dynamic in that it's, yes, about knowledge, but there's also a lot of 
kind of issues of power and little misogyny. This is a, a male-only student group, and she wants so badly to be a part of that group and not just like a, you know, observer for the purposes of the, you know, hustle. <laughs> All the while, there is a figure known as the Knifeman who is killing and dismembering young women all across the city. So she now is on a mission to put the killings to a stop by herself. Um, but in doing so, you know, it's going to be difficult for <laughs> reasons. So there's lots of anatomy stuff in this book. Like I said, there's string of murders. So it's, you know, violent in that way. And lots of dis- like in discussion of like surgery, anatomy, dissection. So again, if that's the kind of thing that makes you kind of then just know that that's there. It could be worse. It's not terrible, but it's off definitely on the page. There are some great friendships in the book, um, a lot of very maddening misogyny in the field, as was, you know, kind of the case for <laughs> forever and still is, but specifically within this, you know, field of medicine that she's being asked to like, be a huge part of, but also not get to like be a part of. And yeah, it's the sword that cuts both ways. So again, mystery, it's very feminist. It's kind of gave me some of the vibes of a historical series that I really liked. It's an adult series called The Way of All Flesh by I think Ambrose Perry. This the characters in this are mainly Irish, I believe, and it had a little bit of a you know Jack the Ripper esque person on the prowl with a lot of that interesting discussion of like ethical discussions, surgery. It's just the whole lot packed into one book that I really enjoyed, and the covers really rad. So again, that is the Corpse Queen by Heather M. Herman. All right, and for my next pick, now we're getting into some more creepy Halloween moody kind of Ooh. reads. My next pick is White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. Haunted House Story! Ding, 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 ding! Tiffany D. Jackson is the author of the excellent hard-hitting YA novels. Uh, (laughs) They include Allegedly, Grown, and Monday's Not Coming. This is a novel about gentrification and the way laws are used to specifically target and harm the black community wrapped up in a haunted house story. Mari is a teenager. She has just gone through a big scandal at her school. It was very hard for her. Uh, Her mother has also recently remarried, and now she has an annoying little stepsister named Piper. And her mother's job now has them moving to a new neighborhood in a home they get for free because her mother is the artist in residence, which is good and bad for Mari. She gets to get away from the scandal, but she's going to have to learn a new town and a new school and a new home. Mari has a lot of anxiety. Some of it is stemming from a bedbug infestation in her family's home years earlier. She is now terrified of bedbugs. She has terrible panic attacks when she thinks she sees one. And she has been self-medicating herself with marijuana and assorted pills. She is also stressed out by her stepsister, her new home, her new school, and her fear of bedbugs. But now, also, weird things start happening in the new house. The lights go on and off, the doors open on their own, things go missing, there are cold spots and weird smells, and Piper has made a new friend, one who tells her that Mari needs to leave. Now Mari has heard rumors about their home and is worried that Piper's new friend might be one of the previous inhabitants. There might be a sinister reason that the house was free with the job. This is a scary story that will have you turning on the lights and checking for ghosts and checking for bedbugs. Seriously, there is so much bedbug talk in this book. So if you are afraid of bugs, this might not be a great read for you. Or if you like to be frightened and you are afraid of bugs, this might be a great read for you. I do want to give content warning for discussion of bedbugs, obviously. 
chemical use, abuse, and overdose, tense situations, violence and murder, racism, panic attacks, and mental illness. This is White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. And now we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Vanessa, what do you have for us? I am so excited about this one. <laughs> like, I like, well, I can't wait to like actually get a hard copy and gift it to myself and possibly other people. <laughs> I just love it so much. So, this one is called "Your Guide to Not Getting Murdered in a Quaint English Village" by Maureen Johnson and Jay Cooper. Uh, I, I once read a line in, I think it was Crime Reads, in like a post about either cozies or quaint English villages or like both. But it was a post that said that quaint English villages are like hotbeds of violent crime with murder rates higher than like Caracas. And that tickled me because <laughs> if you are a cozy mystery reader, you know that, yeah, it's uh, it's Murderville. Like I love me an English village. I'm a longtime cozy reader, Agatha Christie fan, ardent watcher of Midsummer Murders and can confirm through this very expert knowledge place that it is indeed the murder capital of the world. Um, so this book obviously pokes fun and would make such a rad gift for anybody that falls in those like categories I just mentioned. It's written by Maureen Johnson, who is the author of a series that I love, the Truly Devious series. And it's illustrated by Jay Cooper in a very like Edward Gorey-esque style, which speaks to my soul. 
And it's it's funny, it's cheeky, it's charming, it's, you know, a quote-unquote guide on, like, what to do, what to look for, who to avoid, etc. Should you insist upon traveling to or otherwise find yourself in Murderville, aka, you know, the quaint English village. It t- talks about, like, room layouts and, like, what to look for if you're in, you know, the library or the study or, like, the hall and some commonly met or, you know, seen guests. Like, there's always a spinster and there's probably a colonel. And, of course, you know, there's a vicar. Avoid the vicar. The vicar cannot be trusted. Uh, murder methods, etc. It's just really fun. <laughs> it's not, obviously, like, a super, like, lengthy, meaty read. It is very much, like, an excellent, like, coffee table thing. Uh, and just perfect for anybody who loves themselves a cozy and the whole English village thing. Or, you know, maybe one thing you want to pack with you if you ever get to make that trip. But yeah, a lot of fun. This is, I think, going to be one that I look to for gifting during holiday season. Uh, possibly, like I said, for myself. <laughs> so that is, I know, a quick summary, but it's really all it needs. It's just a really, really great little collector type of item. That's your guide to not getting murdered in a quaint English village by Maureen Johnson and Jay Cooper. Yeah, I co-sign. It's an adorable little gift book, and with supplies the way that they are right now, mm-hmm. I would recommend buying it sooner rather than later, because it will make a great gift, and it will be gone way before Christmas. Super fast, I think. Super fast! So, my last pick today is another super scary great one for this coming fall season, or just in general. I've been waiting so long to talk about this book. I read it last year sometime. It is Slewfoot by Brom. This is one of the new Tor Nightfire books. Tor Nightfire is Tor's new horror imprint, and their books are finally hitting the shelves. They had a couple that came out, I think, last week, and now they're on a roll. And this one is so excellent. It's about a woman named Abatha. She is a young Englishwoman in Connecticut in 1666 where she was sent by her parents to marry a farmer. And now she and her husband, Edward, they live on this farm and they attend church with their Puritan neighbors. It's, you know, everyone is very religious and they gossip and there's not really a whole lot else to do other than gossip and farm. Uh, And now at the beginning of this book, uh, their goat, Samson, has gone missing. And it turns out that, I can't tell you like what happens, but it has something to do with reanimation or the reanimation of Satan. I can't do a church lady voice, otherwise I would do the church lady. <laughs> but that's right. Oh, thank you. These aren't spoilers. These are these are things you need to know going into the book. The wilderness demons, of which are a thing I did not know existed, uh, a lot of little evil animals in the forest, they have brought Satan back to life. And later on in the book, you're going to find out what happened to him the first time around. But when Satan comes back... He doesn't remember who he is, and he's kind of having an identity crisis, because these little creatures are like, you're the most evil of all creatures in the world, and you must do all these bad things, and he's like, but I kind of don't want to. Like, that's a bummer. Like, why do I have to be bad? So Satan is having an identity crisis. Meanwhile, Edward's horrible brother, Wallace, has lost a bet, and he owns the home that Edward and Abatha live in. And they have been buying it from him a week at a time. And they have one more payment to make. And instead, he comes to them and says, I lost your house in a bet. So you have to get out. And and they're like, no way. Totally unfair. Like, we have one payment left to make. It's not even really yours anymore to give away. But the his brother is kind of a jerk. And he knows the town elders. And they're like, yeah, you know, that's what he says. But then Edward dies. And the town elders rule in favor of Abatha and Edward being able to keep, well, or not Edward, he's dead. 
but and Abatha being able to keep the land. Like she comes up with the money, and now Wallace is super mad because you know he wanted to take this land back, or at least you know settle his bet. And you know a woman, a woman has beat him. Like that's not gonna fly. You know, like no woman is a match for him. But Abatha is a match for him because she's not easily bossed around like the other women in the village. She is also not afraid of speaking her mind, which gets her into a lot of trouble. So. Wallace is threatening her, saying he's going to do everything he can to get his land back from Abatha, and she's farming the land on her own, she's refusing help, and so, of course, you know, what kind of woman could be independent and stand on her own two feet? Well, you know, the kind with a pointy hat, who, and, you know, she also has a cat, so, obviously, she must be a witch. So the people in the village are gossiping that Abatha is a witch. Meanwhile, Abatha has met a new friend. He is a cloven-footed gentleman that she met in the woods, and they become good friends. And, you know, basically what it comes to is that Abatha is not going to give up her land without a fight. I loved this book. It was so much fun. I loved how Abatha refused to back down. I thought, you know, she they were like, we're going to put you in the stockades if you don't start behaving. We're going to imprison you if you don't start behaving. If, you know, because how dare you? You're a woman. Like, how dare you? I loved... How Slewfoot was not behaving like the bad guy that everyone kept telling him that he was. I just love that Satan was having an identity crisis. And, you know, I, I think about this a lot, especially there's a great chapter in The Witches by Stacy. Oh my goodness, I'm forgetting her name. Schiff. Schaefer. Schiff. Okay, thank you. I was going to say Schaefer. About how when you're in the woods in 1600s and you hear these noises... And there's no light around. Like, of course you're scared out of your mind, like, all the time, you know? And so I always think about that when I read books that are set, you know, hundreds of years ago. Like, you didn't know that that was an animal making that noise. You know, it, to you, it sounded like a demon, you know? And I just, it's wild to think how people were scared all the time in colonial New England. And, like, how they turned on each other so quickly. And I also love, just, the book ends in, like, one super long, action-packed scene. It's just so great. What I don't know is what the illustrations in this book look like. Brahm is also uh, an excellent artist, and the book comes with several illustrations. However, because I read this as a PDF, I was not able to see those, so I do look forward to seeing them. But it's just so much fun. I do want to give content warnings for murder, gore, violence, fire, animal death, religious abuse, and misogyny. It is Slewfoot, which is S-L-E-W-F-O-O-T. By Brom. That was a journey, and I appreciated it so very much. It's so much fun. I mainly was on mute, and it started with me like dancing in my chair when you were talking about like the tour horror imprint, and then we got like a, a goat named Samson. We got like Satan voice. We got Satan going through an identity. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I love when I'm entertained. It was also. It was really fun to talk about knowing that at this very moment, our own Amanda Nelson is in Salem, Massachusetts, right. visiting all the witchy things. So that was fun. That's big on my list, hopefully, for next year. We'll see. <laughs> You'll just, be so close. I just want to do things. So we'll see. Yay. Okay. So I'm going to finish up with my last book, which I don't have enough, quite the material to give the performance that Liberty just gave, but I do enjoy it very much. <laughs> that is a middle grade novel called A Soft Place to Land by Janae Marks. You may recognize Janae. She is the author of a pretty popular book that was came out uh, this year, last year. Time is a Flat Circle uh, from the desk of Zoe Washington. And so this is her her latest. It's such a sweet story with a lot of heart and a lot of like big feelings. 
Joy Taylor is our main character, and she's a 12-year-old, like, budding musician. She's got a family that she loves, a lovely house to come home to. She's loved, and she is a pianist, specifically, with big dreams of composing music for films. Then everything changes for her when her dad is laid off from his job and the family is forced to obviously, you know, pivot. So they move into a tiny apartment that she, you know, just just that change alone is a lot for her. She was so used to like her house being her home and now this new place is what she's supposed to call home and it doesn't feel homey. The place is small, the walls are thin, her parents are always fighting and she's trying to kind of put on a brave face for her little sister her friends that, you know, said they were going to keep in touch haven't really sought her out. So she's just sort of feeling out of sorts and like she doesn't have a soft place to land. Um, what's worse is that she's also had to give up her music lessons because the family can't afford them any longer. And that was such a huge piece of, of her and like her passion. So she's, you know, pretty, pretty bummed. Then there seems to be a bright spot. She makes friends with another young girl in the building named Nora Ramos. She is her her neighbor and her classmate. And she introduces Joy to some of the other kids in the building. And they clue her in on a little inside scoop, which is that there is a secret place in the building, like behind a storage closet, I think, near the laundry room, that they call the hideout. And it's where the kids in the building go for just a little bit of, you know, kid-only refuge and escape. So in this hideaway, Joy makes some more friends, and she also starts exchanging secret messages with another kid in the building, but she doesn't know like who that is. And then one day the messages just stop. So she's worried that this friend of hers maybe isn't okay. She decides she has to get to the bottom of that. But again, she has a lot going on. Like she's trying to raise money, you know, fundraise to hopefully get back to her music lessons, because that's really important to her. She's navigating this tough home situation, trying to be the brave face. She's feeling kind of hurt and betrayed from several different angles. And so she sort of acts out in a way that really tests her friendships. And that's kind of all I'll say there. This feels like a really important middle grade read in A, the representation. Like I love that the characters, the main characters are all black or brown. I think um, Nora Ramos is coded. I think is Latinx. Yeah, she is. And it treats the friendships between the kids as very like important and formative, which I think is is great to see. I love its portrayal of kids just being kids and trying to figure things out. You know how to communicate, how to forge your own path, and like find your interests. How to be a good friend. How to both set and respect boundaries and like conflict resolution. And I love that it it gives, you know, some space to this idea of like kids needing to retreat, retreat to a place where they can do all of those things outside the presence of adults. I think that's really important. And we don't necessarily see it like as much in literature as we could, especially with a diverse cast of characters. So yeah, I love this one. I want to buy it for, you know, kids of a certain age. It was just a really sweet story. And I'm a huge fan of Janae Marks now. I think I'm going to go back and pick up from the desk of Zoe Washington. So that is my last pick. That is A Soft Place to Land by Janae Marks. So I did have my microphone on mute, but our audio editor, Jen Zink, will hear me giggling when you say the word pivot because I do it every time someone says the word pivot because I immediately think of that episode of Friends where they get the couch. Pivot! (laughs) (laughs) And it's not even that funny. Why do I laugh? I don't know, but I just giggle every time someone says the word pivot. We all have words and that I I will not lie. That is absolutely what I imagine every time someone says pivot. I think that or of like this one specific Russian dance teacher that I had once. (laughs) And Anyway, that's where we're going to (laughs) end. Yeah. So those are our new books, which is like amazing selection. So good. 
like just as many amazing books out today as there were last week, that giant new release day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are you going to read next? I'm so excited for this one. I'll probably talk about it later, but it is the last. I thought the last one was the last. No, this is the last book in the Practical Magic series. I don't believe it. Uh, I mean, we'll see. But I mean, for now, I'm like crying soft tears. But it's the Book of Magic by Alice Hoffman. And I finally got my hands on an early copy. And I, I just love I thought those some of my favorite books of all time. So I'm really jazzed to dive into that this weekend. How about you? Now, is this one is this one set after the events of Practical Magic? Or is this another one set prior to that? I believe this is another like pre-pre- because the last one was like in the 60s, right? Yeah, they're all, well, the last, the very last one was in the 60s. The one before that was like way back in time, was like the original, huh. like Maria Owens. Um, so in like actual witch trial times. And then I think yeah. this one is like maybe somewhere in the middle, but it's also like everything is a prequel except for practical magic. So pre- prequel, prequels of prequels. Huh. So just let me say, holy cats, y'all are big fans of the Preston Child's Agent Pendergrass series. I have received more messages and emails <laughs> about... I did not realize it had such a huge fan base. Yep. I mean, of course, I knew of them and they're New York Times bestsellers, but I had no idea. So many people have been like, I'm so excited that you're reading these. And let me tell you, I'm so excited that I'm reading these. <laughs> so I just read Relic, which is the first one in the series, because as I mentioned last I week, just I read that. the last in the series, right? Well, it's so much fun. It's <sighs> so much fun. Now, first of all, I'm like, I was like, well, I watched the 1997 movie, so I already know how this ends, like, giant bug face person, like, in the tunnels, fine, whatever. And I'm, like, reading it, and I'm, like, 100 pages into it, and I'm like, I don't remember any of this at all. And it turns out, I was thinking of the 1997 movie Mimic, sorry to spoil it for everyone, and... That would explain the faces I just made. <laughs> I was like, wait, yeah. are you sure? <laughs> yeah. So, like, I had not seen the movie Relic. And so I had no idea what was going on. And <laughs> it's so, it's so much dumb fun. Like, it really, I loved it from beginning to end. It's like Jaws meets Die Hard, oh, where it's like yes. a museum and something bad's happening, but the higher-ups don't want to shut it down, and there's going to be all kinds of adventure. I loved it. So now I'm going to start the sequel, which is called Reliquary, which is also a kind of sequel to the things that happened in the first book, not just like a mm. second in the series. I'm so excited about that. And I did just get my hands on the League of Gentlewomen Witches, which is the follow-up to the Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels by India Holden. So those are my two exciting books for this weekend. And that's all for today. First of all, I have the hiccups, so let's see if we can get through this. (laughs) I don't know where those came from. I guess because I got so excited about the the So much excitement. Yeah. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. You can find us online. We hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am Franz and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.